Welcome everybody to the first episode of the Fair Dinkum Podcast. We're five boys from Melbourne talking about everything and anything. Yeah, my name's Apshia, aka Keith, aka Birdie, aka 65 Chocolate Goodness. Next to me is Ali, next to him is Ashraf, Welly, aka Legendary, and finally Suhail, aka Seuss the Goose. Well, today's topic will be um, building connections. I'll take it from here, my man. I'll take it from oh, here. Oh my god, look at that. We'll allow it, yeah? To control. So, like I'll, I'll introduce you guys to how we actually derived the topic for today. So we were all kicking it at a, a certain KFC in the area that we quite, you know, we found a, let's say a duck leg in the chicken wing box. But um, we'll let it go from there. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so um, what happened was we're all sitting down and um, yeah, we're just trying to think of things. And then um, I remembered the first time I ever encountered well, a person who kind of left a lasting effect on me. It was, um, should, can we name names? Can we name names or do we, we're not doing that? I, I won't name names, but she ran a leadership course recently. And um, I was uh, one of the participants in that. And um, what happened was she kind of opened up the, the leadership course by telling us uh, her own story of her past self and um, what had happened to her in her past that led her to what her goals were at the time and everything that she wanted to get done in her life at that moment. Um, so uh, she talked about, um, well, basically like the loss of her mother and, and, and went on to talk about her journey through loneliness and looking for belonging in the world. And um, it kind of, it kind of really rung true with me because I was kind of at the same, uh, at the same time going through something very similar. So, um, which will bring me to me talking about the topic today, boys. Get G, which is um, building a connection um, with you guys, the audience. So in order for us to gain, I say, a, 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 a long-lasting relationship with you guys, we want you guys to actually understand each one of us and what brought us to be the people we are today. So um, I'm going to go ahead and start us off because the boys are a bit nervous down here. So... Um, <laughs> Uh, well, my one would have started around uh, first year university, um, driving all the way to Geelong in, uh, sorry, Deakin in Geelong waterfront, doing architecture and construction management. Uh, of course, I really didn't like doing myself per se, but um, it kind of made the parents proud in that. So it kind of it kind of made me happy to make my parents happy at the time. But um, one thing that I learned from that was um, regardless of who is at the forefront of whatever you're doing in life, if you're not feeling it, um, it might not be the best thing for your health, both mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually, is everything in general. Um, so what happened was I was doing architecture, um, really did not feel it at all. So first two, three weeks, thought that I might be able to just, you know, like ease into it, that we're just going through the introduction phases and that. And then um, uh, what happened was I realized really soon that I was kind of falling behind because architecture is a degree that really takes its toll on you, you know what I mean? It's kind of, I think it's one of, if not the hardest course to do in university. I'd say so, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I uh, just sat there and um, kind of just allowed it to hit me real, real, real hard. Yeah. Um, so I, I was, I was driving in the middle of winter. I picture this, yeah. So it would be, it, it was around, so sixth week, seventh week. I realized that I had so much work to do. I did not know how to use the software that we needed to do 
to, to use in order to actually make our designs come to life Which means that my designs were just a figment of my imagination per se So um, <clears throat> what happened was um, I did not know how to use the software Was kind of in really really deep And I, 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 I kind of experienced for the first time in my life I don't know, this sense of like hopelessness because in school, you always have something to fall back on, whether it be mates, whether it be people around you. And you realize in university that nobody, and I mean nobody, has your back. Do you get what I'm saying? You do meet good people along the way, but they're going through their own stuff. So you can't really like, you can't really like put your burdens on other people in that. And you don't want to anyway, because you kind of got pride in yourself to be able to do things on your own in that. So, um, so uh, it kind of... Pride played a big uh, role in me not being able to actually express how deep this hole that I was in. And um, it got to the point where we're talking five degree days. You're driving all the way to Geelong, an hour and a half drive, and it's a hundred and something kilometers from my area. Damn. So we're talking dark, dark, gloomy days, and you're pretty clouded mentally. So you got clouds outside and clouds inside. And all you kind of see is... I used to wake up for work 3 a.m. regardless. So every single day for the past, I don't know, five, six years of my life, mm. it's just been 3 a.m. wake up. So 3 a.m. wake up. So we're talking lack of sleep added. So lack of sleep. And then also starting university five days a week, eight to five o'clock. And then, yeah, yeah, listen to this, listen to this as well. You want to trip out is the fact that you still had work to do when you got home at five o'clock because you weren't able to finish all your work at uni. So it was a constant cycle, basically. Constant cycle, just it's just it's just I swear it's just a vortex, mm. it's just a vortex of hell for twelve weeks, and there was no exams. That's what's funny. So just leave you to try after twelve weeks. If you passed, you passed. If you didn't, well, get ready to do it all again. I'm gonna so were you working? So were you working um, like after school hours or whatever it was? So no, no, no. I was, was working just before home? university. So at three a.m. Oh, okay. in the morning, I would wake up. I would do my fruit and veg deliveries, as everyone yeah. knows. That's why I roll around in the van, people. Don't get too excited. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but um, but uh, yeah. Um, so so essentially, that was three a.m. wake ups. It mean I drive after work to uh, to university, spend the whole day at university, come back in dark again. Wow. So it was night time, nightfall, and then um. And then I'd hit home around 6, 6.30, try and breathe a little bit. Didn't work because you realize you got a whole pile of work to do anyway. Yeah, that's all you're thinking about. <laughs> yeah, and that's, that's all that's clouding you. And trying to eat, you can't do anything. I just essentially tried to find an escape. I'll allow how did you, How'd you manage like your sleep life and your and social did, life as well? Then there was no social life at all. I, I didn't have friends at the time anyway, to be honest with you. How many hours a night were you sleeping, would you say? Four hours. I, and it got to the point where Sundays were just sleep because of how depressed I was at the time. So so um, it wasn't it wasn't really like a, 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 a I didn't know where it was coming from depression. But it just it was it was, was kind of bad because I felt like it was just overwhelmed by everything. And then um, how long did this go for? As in how many months? How a year. A year straight. It went for a year, and then we got to the point where I kind of almost veered off the road and decided, you know what, I'll allow it. What? Yeah, 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 yeah. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. I would have allowed it. This is news to that us. Was, that was just like a like a passing thought. That was a passing thought. Like it just like if I did that and then the car hit something, I could actually sleep for once. 
I could rest because nobody could tell me, oh, you got this due or you got that due or you could do this or you can do that. You could just rest there. Or not necessarily die, isn't it? Not die, just crash enough for you to have an excuse to be out of whatever you had to do, well, to move away from your responsibilities. That's a scary mental state to be in. Yeah, it is, it is. But to be honest with you, there's responsibilities and, and things that you shouldn't be taking up. So in life, people are going to tell you, oh, you need to wake up, grind the clock and whatever. And, uh, you know, like you got to get there. You got to be that person. You got to be what everyone else is. Steve Jobs never used to sleep, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Just sit there, think to yourself, honestly, am I going to be comfortable in doing that? Am I going to be happy? Am I honestly going to be happy? Because I'll, I'll be dead set wrong with you guys. I'll be working, university. And what was on the back of my mind was, how the hell am I going to get through this? Each day was a year. In that, in that time and I'm telling you straight when um, when I when I um, when I got to the end of my university degree or for the year I looked at my parents or obviously I'll, I'll tell you is the turning point so the turning point the turning point was when um, yeah I got home one day after uni just absolutely flustered looked at my sister and my family I'm like they're like what's wrong with you like you're malnourished you're white why are you so pale for you look yellow What's going on? And I'm just like, I uh, genuinely don't know what's wrong with me. I should be all right, shouldn't I? Like, I'm just working and doing uni. Like, I'm not doing anything mm. too untoward. No one's torturing me. No one's doing nothing. And then um, uh, my sister looked at me and she goes to me, hey, like, you right? Like, she kind of pulled me aside. I'm like, I genuinely don't know what's wrong with me right now. I genuinely don't know. I can't sit there without hyperventilating for five seconds, realizing how much work I got to do in order for me not to fail. Because I know if I fail, I'll disappoint. And I don't want to disappoint because I'm not that type of guy. <laughs> but um, so what happened was my sister kind of looked at me and she smiled. She's like, hey, you're not disappointing no one, man. If, you're, if it's too much for you, you can push away from it, you know. you rather live and be able to do something or at least deal with whatever you're dealing with than to be able to just like, die trying really hard to impress people you can't impress regardless. And then I'm like, all right, mad. But then my sister kind of like, well, she was the shining light, I'll be honest with you. She... Alhamdulillah, yes, yeah, she, she was going through her, her, her uh, how do I say it, revolutionary phase where she was kind of like, she was kind of like becoming more religious in that. So she kind of, her, her smile rubbed off on me and uh, she, she looked at me and she goes, hey, why don't you try this thing called uh, Islam? I'm like, what you mean? I'm, I'm already Muslim, I'm not, I'm not praying five times a day. Um, I should feel so you weren't practicing growing up, or like I was not practicing, but like I your was household practicing. wasn't. I was practicing, but you know how the way Mufti Min goes, are oh, you pecking like a chicken? Yeah, you go pretty <laughs> fast when you're yeah. doing your your salah. So I was pretty much that. If I could fulfill that, I've done my obligation to God. Push that aside. Now it's my life. Mm. I didn't really know that whatever everything that I was doing in my life was actually revolved around the deen. That's what it was, and you had to learn that growing up because you kind of you lose it. You, you, you don't intentionally lose it because you're not actually looking to become a better person, but you just get caught up in the day-to-day -day life. Just, it's, yeah, it's pretty hard to navigate, but um, my sister goes to me, hey, try this, um, go to the mosque, breathe, relax, listen to lectures on the way, see how you feel. Obviously, first two, three days that I tried it, put, put on lectures in the last five, six weeks of that semester, of the last year, um, I was falling asleep on the road. Uh, I can't. I was listening to Jake all the time. So <laughs> kind of like, he's the only thing that kept me up in that. And you're just like, all right, whatever. Yeah, yeah he's going to G me up, man. I'm driving. I'm driving. I'll be right. I'll be right. Yeah. And you open the window, you roll it down. You're kind of staying away through him. But um, you notice that um, after three or four or five days, I think it was, 
I've listened to solid lectures, it kind of like, it rubbed off on me. I started to, 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 to look forward to the drive to uni because this is my time to be by myself and to actually listen to something that's beneficial for me. And um, this is actually something I enjoy for the first time in my life since, I don't know, since I played footy. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's something that I look forward to on the way. So um, obviously, Normal Ali Khan, a man of choice. Uh, obviously, a bit of controversy behind me, but we will allow that because we take the good and leave the bad. But um, yeah, Mufti Mink kind of really, it, it lightened me, you know? It just kind of gave me a different outlook on life and telling me that like, hey, the be all and end all of life isn't what you think it is. It's actually something that comes after all of this. The struggle is isn't the struggle that you should be like focused solely on there's something else there I'll let Abshir ask me that question uh, what was I going to say I was going to say um, uh, see in that vortex you're in that cycle you're in yep. like, you went on for almost a year you said yeah Yeah. and towards the end of the year the last five six weeks you went to your sister consulted your sister said listen I don't know what's going on da, da, da. She, yep. she, she basically tried guiding you in terms of saying listen to lectures da, da, da. I know lectures isn't the only thing that can sort of get someone out of that vortex. What is something else you sort of tried? It's, it's, I'll be honest with you, mm. I kind of had to look at my parents and say, hey, I'm not really enjoying what's going on here. So you basically confronted them and started to discussing. To, like, like everyone knows, Arab parents are like this. I want my kid to be a Mohandis doctor, lawyer, or he's, Mohandis, he's bombed out. explain for those non-English. Oh, sorry, Mohandis is a, is a, is a engineer, engineer or a... Engineer. Or a um, in my case, I don't know how to say. I think what's architect again in Arabic? It doesn't matter. Uh, well, he did an Arabic course recently, but anyway. Mahandish, But yeah, I was saying. So basically, um, what they wanted you to be was a. Uh, so basically, look, whatever you're feeling and whatever your body tells you, is not only the biggest sign possible, but you should listen to it. If, if you actually aren't comfortable with what's going on. Your your soul isn't actually comfortable with what's going on. You can't explain why you're so clouded, why you're so depressed, why you're so anxious. What's going on with you is a big, big sign that what you're doing at that time or at that moment is not correct. It's not the right path for you. It might not be the right path for you at that time, but it might not be the right path for you at all completely. So what you have to do is be able to sit back and look at yourself and be like, do I actually see myself continuing this cycle and being able to get out of this vortex? If you can't, which I told my parents, like, look, if I don't get at least an architecture course or degree somewhere closer to home, that will kind of like give me a different perspective on it, like RMIT in the city or something like that, like somewhere closer to home, I'm not going to be able to take this. Do you know what I'm saying? I'm not going to be able to do it. And if nobody takes me in from a closer that I'm quitting architecture for time being. If I feel like going back after a semester off, if I don't get into those other unis, I'm done. I'm going to go find something else. So your parents, they were okay with it? like, Because a lot of people have parents that they're so strict that you can't even say, I want to go somewhere close to home. Yeah. They force it onto you. What school you go to, you can't work, yep. what you study. So to begin with, I actually want to ask yeah, a question. I'm, I'm going off Ashraf's thingy. Was it was it um like going for Ashra's Ashra's point? Yeah, yeah. In question, uh, was it actually hard going to them? It was a tough pill to swallow, to be honest, because um also my uncle who I look up to very much, uh, also said, listen, nobody ever likes what they do in their life. Shout out to Uncle Khalid, I love you, bro. But <laughs> but, uh, but um yeah, so nobody ever really likes what they do in their life. It's a job. It's not something you have to enjoy. 
Um, life isn't like that. Look, I went through the, the yards, the hard yards, blah, blah, blah. Um, what happened was my parents were not on board with it at all. They're like, listen, no semester off, no nothing. You need to get into the workforce. You need to make money. You need to get out. You know, you need to do things, you know? And I'm just like, I'm actually suffering here. And then my sister kind of like, because that, that's, that's what dug me into a deeper hole at the time. So um, my sister again, uh, who backed me up again in this, she kind of looked at my parents and she said, do you not see what's happening to this kid? He's actually spiraling. Like he, he genuinely cannot, he's, he's not going to be able to do this for three years, or five years, because it was actually a five year course. It was a double degree. It was a double degree. And one year you couldn't handle. Could handle for I could, seven bro, weeks. I'm telling you, yeah. but do you know what's funny? The fact that everyone keeps telling you these quotes, like the first year is the hardest, and then after this it's easy. They're just trying to store out all the bad ones and store out the bad. And I'm telling you, I'm genuinely not enjoying the struggle. You know how the way people, they enjoy the struggle and that, and what they're doing, and they actually will happily go through some turmoil in order to get to another point. Yeah. But I did not feel like there was a ha there was no happiness at all at all at all. It's just this completely depression, just clouds, just dark clouds all over. But um, I'll let Wally go. Was through. was your sister younger than you? No, she's older than me by two years. Okay, because I would have said that's very mature though, just to realize another family member of hers yeah. going through all of this. You know, because I mean? like most family households and all that kind of stuff, they're not really aware. Because like when you get into that that university life. It's all about getting out of the house, working. Yeah. That's all, all of a cycle. And for her to like just stop for a second and go, yo, my brother's actually going through this. My parents actually have to realise this. It's actually like a lot. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, 100%. And um, yeah, I really appreciate what she did for me, to be honest with me. She kind of pulled me out of that hole. Um, I don't know what else to tell you guys, no, because um, honestly... Shout out all the Seuss. Oh. <laughs> my my, my yeah. life interrupting you. Um, uh, what, like, what like, eventually happened with that? With that, mm. all right. So, yeah. <laughs> um, so what happened was uh, essentially, uh, I kind of I I didn't get into any of the actually I got a couple of interviews with RMIT and Monash and for some reason Subhanallah uh, Allah didn't give it to me. It wasn't for me. And at that time I was kind of understanding Qadr a lot more because I kind of got cut at the start and I'm mm. like as if they wouldn't take me. My designs are so good. Blah blah blah. And then I kind of sat back and looked at her. I'm like, maybe this isn't your path. You're not supposed to be an architect. Mm. So then I go to my parents. Hey, I'm taking a semester off. I need to breathe. I need to understand what's going on. She goes, no more than a semester, mom. I go, no worries, no worries, no worries. No worries. <laughs> I understand it. I kind of, I kind of had nothing in the world but Dean at that time. Alhamdulillah. There was nothing else to cling to but Dean. Mm. So I had my my my, my three a.m. wake up still and those those works. There's the daily work thing. But what the thing was, I had that coffee. I had that lecture. You know, I was just kicking it in the cup. And then I started to get in a, bit of, a, a bit of attachment to the dean and that. And uh, yeah, Ashraf. The crazy thing is, when you start listening to lectures, or you start becoming more practicing, even if you don't have uni or friends, when you have dean, you have everything. Yeah. And you start becoming happy. Like you can yeah. have all the friends in the world. You can be enjoying your course, working, making good money. But then if you just don't have that dean, or religion, you don't have that faith, your life becomes depressed, you become, start becoming sad. Yeah. You realize oh, that. All I'm going to say is that if you actually strip it back to what we're actually here for, you kind of understand that there's no pressure in the world that allows you to cause, like, that, that should be able to cause you so much grief. You know what I mean? If you understand that, like, we live such a such a short life in order to get to a eternal either bliss or punishment, you understand that, whoa, okay, maybe it's not worth it to struggle this much. Maybe it's not worth it to be in this, in this funk, completely just stuck 
You know, maybe there's something else out there for me. And Subhanallah, Allah Subhanahu wa Taala took me to a took me to a better place. He took me to um he took me to, to I, I remember watching Stephen A. Smith on TV. Yeah, <laughs> so um I can't look at my parents and Who's I go. Stephen A. Smith. Stephen A. Smith's uh the, the the commentator on ESPN. He um he talks. A he's, he's a pundit. Whatever yeah. he is. Yeah, yeah. Basketball. He talks Saka. about basketball. Or he talks about. He talks about um, a couple other sports and that, but in America. And I kind of looked and I go, hey, this man talks a lot, man. <laughs> I'm like, is he getting paid for this? And they're like, yeah, yeah, he's getting good money. And I'm like, you know what? I'm like, you know what? I talk a lot too. Maybe I can make money off talking. Mom goes, you know what? Go start journalism or something like that. And then I found, uh, stumbled across uh, Med. I'm joking, media and communications. <laughs> but uh, um, yeah, um, I did a bit of media communications. And um, yeah, so the rest was history, to be honest with you. And it led me to seeing who I saw. I'll let Abshir ask me that question. Um, one question that I think most of the listeners are wanting to ask is, uh, what like what did that year, that little struggle that you had teach you and make you, like, what did that teach you? As in, like, right. the Suhail before that one year and the Suhail after, what was the difference? Wrap it up? Yeah. And like what impacted you? Like, what was yeah. the change? Because obviously your sister did motivate you and you did listen to lectures. It was like a gradual thing. Was it the lectures? Was it your mum giving you a chance to take a semester off? Oh, what did okay. you learn? How did you switch? Yeah, well, like, what, did, what was the difference between Suhail pre that year and post that year? And now. And now. Okay. Um, what made you the man you are? I kind of had too much expectation on myself. I thought that I was destined to be something extremely big and I needed to work so hard in that moment mm-hmm. in order for it to occur. So what happened was... I kind of put unnecessary pressure on myself mm. for no reason at all. I kind of thought that everybody in the world was counting on me or myself. And and, 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 and I put this, this this complete burden on my own shoulders. Mm. But the, the grand scheme of things, you got to realize that we're all insignificant in it. Mm. We're, 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 we're not as important as we think we are in the grand scheme of things. Obviously, you can be important. Mm. Yeah, don't get me wrong. Everyone in the eyes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is actually significant. But... What you have to understand is whatever you are going through, people around you are still moving. The world is still ticking away, you know. Mm. Everyone's doing their thing. Everyone's moving. The world just keeps going. You're in your little box. You're stuck in your bubble, you know. Mm. And then you realize that, oh, damn, well, like, everyone around me is still doing their own thing, you know. What is it that I need to do to get out of this bubble that's causing me to be so depressed? Or, or, or so anxious What is the hard decision That I need to make And be honest with money You have to be honest with yourself Essentially What I'm saying is If you feel like you're stuck In a position You just feel stuck You're not you're not moving anywhere You're bogged Like you know When your car gets stuck In a mud pile Where am I going I can't go anywhere What the hell is the problem My problem was I have to be honest with myself I'm not enjoying what I'm doing I need to take it over I need to get rid of it I need to find something else because this isn't it. But um, essentially, that's that's basically my story that changed me into who I am. But um, obviously, one thing one, th- one thing that I realized from your story, just on a little side tangent, Go for it, is man. the fact that the stigma of guys actually going through this kind of stuff. Do you know what I mean? Like usually going into that that university life, all this kind of stuff, like mental health, working, the pressure, all this kind of stuff. Usually, people think it's like a female thing, but not many people realize that guys actually go through. And that's one thing within our society is. Like that guy's mental health and all this kind of stuff doesn't actually get this attention, which love it. All right, man. yeah, that was a bit of a tangent, but uh, we move on. We move on to. Uh, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna go to. Um, 
Who, who's who I'll, I'll, next? I'll, We're going to go to Wally now. Um, so, yeah, Wally, what made you the man you are today? Oh, yeah. interesting. Yeah. So, what happened in your life that made Wally legendary? <laughs> Chang. I like that. Um, the thing, I wouldn't say I'm really the person, like, I haven't really, like, what, the butterfly effect. I haven't really become my own butterfly out of that caterpillar or whatever. Um, I'm still developing, and I think that's the thing that. Um, everyone's still got to realise that one way or another, like the older you get, you're still learning one way or another, you're still developing. But the thing that probably has impacted me the most in my life was probably me at 12 years old, 11 years old, end of being 11, um, going to Somalia for the first time. So I went to Somalia in year six, at the end of year six, um, was going to have my graduation. I actually didn't end up having my graduation um pretty much you know the prom the graduation they do here in melbourne i actually didn't i was gutted like i was crying my eyes out you know how it is it's most important most important day of the year um and i didn't have it um i was gutted at first because it was pretty early all this kind of stuff but the main reason that i had to leave was mind you i was born in somalia not many people actually know this about this except those that are actually very close to me so i was born in somalia i left somalia when i was two years old um and yeah i've been living in melbourne ever since but in that period, like Melbourne has become my home. Like, like I would, if I had to call something home, it would be Melbourne. At the end of the day, Somalia is my motherland. Shout out Somalia! But still, with all the experience and the person who I've grown up to be, has been shaped around my area, Melbourne, and everything. Um, but during that time, so in year when I was twelve years old in grade six, um, I had to go to Somalia. My grandpa, so my dad's dad, was actually sick there at the time. And mind you, like, if I'm being frankly honest, um, I don't know who my grandfather was, do you know what I mean? He he lives in another country. I haven't met him. I've only spoken to him over the phone a couple of times, all this kind of stuff. But still, he, there was that blood connection there, do you know what I mean? It's my dad's dad. I still got to see him, all this kind of stuff. So going to see him wasn't really interesting to me at the end of the day, but ended up going seeing him. Um, mind you, in being going to Somalia for the first time, I did not know a single word in Somali like there was a massive language barrier mind you I was traveling on my own with my dad so actually speaking Somali was also another scary thing to me like I struggled to speak Somali with people in the area do you know what I mean just getting what do you call it bread from the local mall and speaking to the guy and telling him like give me bread obviously in Somali um, <laughs> <laughs> you might want to say a bit more polite but yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, how old do you get at that time, I was 12 years old, end of 11, so I was still say I was 12 years old. Um, so getting bread in that time was like everything. So speaking the language was hard to me. There was a massive barrier. So obviously that is going to distance my relationship with my motherland at the end of the day. Um, whatever, one way or another, I ended up going to Somalia, um, traveled on my own. So that, that was also another barrier as well. Um, speaking to someone in English was obviously hard. Like my dad knows English, but there's so many conversations that you can actually have with your dad compared to like if you traveled with a mate. Or if you travelled with your brother, do you know what I mean? The banter levels are going to be a bit different than that. You get me? Mm. Um, but in that period of time, um, I saw my grandfather, and alhamdulillah, during that period of time, he ended up being well, all this kind of stuff. But it was my first time actually reconnecting with my motherland. And the bit that impacted me from all of this was the fact that, because I don't want to just go around in a tangent, was um, me seeing Somalia for the first time and realising how actually privileged I am. First thing, first I have to say is the way the media actually puts out Somalia to be and other countries within like that region is firstly wrong. Like it's not, you don't see dead camels on the side of the road. 
Like you don't live in a hut that's made out of like t- uh, like tree bark. There camels in Somalia. Cam- Somalia has the most on. amount of camels in the world. It's but a first world country. No, yeah. no, I, I didn't yeah. thought it was an Arab thing. Walla, walla, walla. Huh? No, no, Somalia's no, had. Walla, walla, I thought it was an Arab thing. Walla. It, 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 it is, but. So how long were you in Somalia for? You said you were by yourself. So in that time, I was in Somalia for about fifty days, so a month and a half, I'd say, just over a month and a half. And mind you, this is the first time I've ever travelled out of the country. Mm. In that period of time, I think I've been interstate and stuff, but I've never actually left the country. So going out of the country was also a big thing as well. Um, I hated anything got to do with motion. Like I can't do car rides. I can't even be spun around in a chair. I can't do none of that kind of stuff. So I struggled <laughs> even with the plane. Um, so just imagine me boarding the plane. I've never been separated from my mum for a long time. So all of this was like a big thing. And mind you, like I have, I'm not even a teenager yet. Do you know what mm-hmm. I mean? I'm still like technically classified as a kid. At that time, I probably thought I wasn't a kid, but I was technically classified as a kid. How old were you? Um, <laughs> Twelve years old. Fifth time. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I was only out. Let's go for it. Um, so, yeah, yeah, I was 12 years old at the time. And going back to the bit, so Somalia held the media portrays it isn't really like you live in a hut, you see dead camels, you're <laughs> riding on horses around, <laughs> and you're still dealing. Like, it's, uh, it's a developed country and everything. And mind you, obviously, the way the media, like, outpours everything into the world is the way that you're going to actually receive it mm. so me going into somalia i'm like whoa like big thing like i was expecting like to have goats around my house this that none of that like i was living in alhamdulillah lovely house all this kind of stuff but the thing how it impacted me was me realizing how privileged i was um like access to medicine all this kind of stuff like education so me going back later on to australia because later on i traveled four times back to somalia in that period of time from now to the first time I've actually traveled. And every time it it gets better and it gets better. Obviously the first parts of the trip is very hard. Um, but me realizing like the little opportunities, like that's one thing I reckon without in our generation that we failed to realize. Like we get so many little opportunities yet we're still like, we're still like little brats about it. Like we're little kids who want more candy every time. Yeah. But then you go to the other side of the world and like you giving them just that one little opportunity means the world to them. Um, even like big things like traveling from like, so I lived, um, so I lived from one town and my other part of my family also lived in another town. So from traveling from town to town was like, it wasn't like interstate where you could go on a plane trip where you go for an hour or something like that. It was a nine hour car trip. Yeah. And depending how fortunate you are, like that nine hour car trip, you can be in a car with air condition all on your own, or you can share it on a, like literally like a mini van bus with six other people when the car technically fits only three people. And let us feel it. Well, what was the weather like at that time? Oh, so going at the time. So the weird thing is Australia is a very weird place. Like, yes, we are the land down under and everything, but it's the other side of the world. Like when we're in winter, the rest of the country, the rest of the world is summer. Mm-hmm. So when we're summer, they're also winter at the end of the day. So in that period of time, our big school holidays is what from like summer period, uh, from like November, December, all the way yeah. to whatever February. Um, so in that period of time is most mostly accessible time for everyone to travel. And that time is summer for us. So over there, it would have been winter. It was hot, but it wasn't the hot that the Melbourne actually experienced. Like it was actually more hotter in Melbourne compared to Somalia at the time. Twenty-five. I'd say it'll be like spring weather, but spring like low summer. Twenty. No, nah, higher than 20. I'd say about like a 26 average. That's beautiful. But at the end of the day, like you get used yeah. to that. Yeah. But it's not you're going to turn black every single day like you're, you're burning. Like, do you know what I mean? Like oh. People think that's the, the, the side to Africa where you're under the sun the whole time. You're sweating. You need, you need, you need the yeah. shade. You need to sit under the tree that's in the little of the nomad <laughs> area. Do people do that? Do people turn black? 
You can't do that, can you? Nah, um, <laughs> yeah. It's a tan, but I'll come on. It's a yeah, yeah, I get you. I get you. I allow it, allow it. So, like, as a result of that, like, I guess that shaped me to be the person who, like, every little opportunity that I get, like, I value everything much more. And from that, each time that I've come back and I've, like, seen somebody, like, I come back, I reckon I come back as a different man because I don't know, but we live in a life where it's a constant cycle. This goes back to your story, Seuss, where mm. we're doing the same thing. We're getting up at 3 a.m. or it depends if you get up at 3 a.m. But we're getting up like, naturally like 9, 10 a.m. every morning. Yeah. We're getting ready for university or we're getting ready for school. We're go- doing this. We come home. We study in that period of time. We socialize at university. We come back. We eat dinner. We eat with the boys. Come back home. Smash some study on Facebook, Instagram for a bit, all this kind of stuff. Watch YouTube, probably watch a movie and then go home and then do the same thing all over again yeah, every single day. Yeah. But like how much of like, it's like literally it's a whole dream. It's like a game. Like if, for me, going to Somalia made me step out of that and realize it was more than that. Like I could actually achieve all these opportunities from doing work and having the opportunities that Alhamdulillah that I have myself now um, and doing like a podcast, all this kind of stuff, reaching out to different people. So wow. little stuff like that. And at the end of the day, like I really, really recommend trouble. And that like people, when they say you're traveling, you really find out who you are Yeah. You really do. Like you look at different outlooks on life and people resonate with traveling differently. Some people hate it. But from that, like, yeah. Um, so, yeah, yeah. So essentially, what is it that... that uh, sorry, Ali. Go for it. What do you say? Go for it, go for it. No. You don't have a question? No, no. You don't have a question? No. Uh, basically, really, at, or stretching? at 12 years old, you realizing all this. No, this wasn't at 12 years old. Some money's like, education, this, that. But amazing, one like, No, no, no. I didn't obviously have this thought at 12 years old. I'm pretty sure I didn't have this thought. You went there four times? So, yeah. So, going back to the thing, I went to Somalia four times and other places in that time. But Somalia really shaped me in that period of time. So, from the first time, it was like, whoa, like, Australia's not the only world in the country. Like, (laughs) it's not like, you know what I mean? It's not not really like that. And then by the second time, it was like, oh... I'll be on a second time. Did I really want to go to Somalia? By the third time, I was jade. Like, I was like, yes, like, get out of this whole thing. Because by the third time that I went, I was in year 12. Do you know what I mean? Oh. It was that deep period of the life where you're going from VC. Like, yeah. those guys don't know what VC is. It's like the last two periods, like the A levels in the UK and all that kind of stuff. It's the last two periods of your education. So, obviously, that's your harder part of education. All you're doing is books, the pressure of family, getting into a high degree, all that kind of stuff is tough. And then from that, the last time was at the start of this year. Um, and that probably put it in like foundation, mm-hmm. I guess. That's not so. So we've got someone who has actually a very similar story. And boys that actually experienced something through travel as well. We've got uh, Mr. Ashraf Hakim. Tell us, brother. Tell us. Tell us how uh, traveling also shaped you into the man you are today. Not just travel. What shaped you as the man you yeah. are today? It's it's, it's centered around that. Yeah. You know? So just leave me alone, brother. <laughs> Get off my back, bro. Anyways, go for it, Ashraf. Tell us. My story is pretty different too because I did travel, alhamdulillah, but it was mainly in year 10. So I went to a Muslim school from prep to year 10. Yep. And it was the bubble, you know, the Muslim bubble. Everyone everyone you know is Muslim. Everyone at school is friends. Everyone knows each other. So yeah. it was that kind of thing. And then in year 10, the school goes on Umrah. The school goes on Umrah. So my brother went two years earlier and he motivated me to go. So I went with my best friends. I went with my... All my friends from school, I went to Sheikh Bilal Assad. It was a pretty good experience. And that was the first time I started to build a love for the deen, mm. a love for the religion. Because obviously, like you said, growing up, you just pray, but you don't really have the taste of salat. Yeah. So I went on Umrah, alhamdulillah. I went 
Medina week, Mecca week. I went with all my friends, like 20 boys. We went and we started to really learn more about the deen. You start seeing, instead of here in Melbourne, we got a lot of Turkish, Somali and Lebanese Muslims. Mm. That's all we have. And Pakistanis. Yeah, and Pakistanis. Pakistanis. That's growing Pakistanis. up. Pakistanis, Pakistanis. <laughs> <laughs> so growing up, that's what we saw. And then we go to Medina, we go to Mecca, and there's like three million people there, Juma, and it's packed. And you see everyone, all shapes, colors. And you think you're good on deen, because you go there and you're like, oh, I went on Umrah. There's three million people next to you. Some have with some life savings. Three million? Yeah, Juma, yeah. Like, okay, two million. Wow. If not one million, it's like they're just That's so... Crazy. But you go there and it's like, I've never seen this many people in the world. There's only one place, uh, we, Ali and I went to China as well, in like 2014, 2013, the year earlier. Yeah. And we went Chinese New Year and went to Guangzhou, one of the cities. 150 million people were leaving or entering that city. Ooh. We couldn't walk. It was yeah, Chinese New Year. Walk. It was packed. How do you get around? Do you surf people? Do you jump on top? We're, and wait, we're waiting about crowd half surf? an hour to have McDonald's for lunch. And then when we're eating our lunch as well, there's about 10 families just wa- watching, waiting for you to take your seat afterwards. They stand right so next to you no, waiting like this. So you have no time to even like breathe properly and just relax a bit. Wow. That was mad too. Chinese New Year. That's mad time of year. Crazy. Anyways, yeah, so yeah, we, I went on Umrah and then I came back. Alhamdulillah, my deen was like pretty high, you know. You get tested, but you're always like practicing, you're praying more. It comes a normal habit. You prayed five times in the haram for a week. So it's a normal habit. And then six months later, I leave my Muslim school and I get my first real test. I moved to a public school. Oh, okay. my, my parents visited the school once when my mom the first time and my dad he dropped me off once that's it mm. so no one knew if, no one knew if i was going to school no one knew if i was taking school serious how my marks were everything was on me yeah taking transport so i had a big test with non-muslims you know make muslim friends some practicing some not encouraging me to like go out more miss class so my first big test of dean especially no one's telling me to pray Luhur at school. Yeah. We used to have to, when, I, when we did start praying, we used to have to pray on the basketball courts in front of everyone. Yeah? Everyone. Wow. It was a crazy experience. But that was my first real test of the deen. Like, obviously, I was 15. I mean, year 11, I was 15. Yeah. So it was a big test, public school. But then I did about a year learning in and out, learning about myself. But then I really started taking my deen more serious. At the end of year 11, I met legendary him and I used to always talk, send lectures to each other, mm. mad converse and stuff. And I started having that taste for the DN again, building it. And then I was working at the same time at McDonald's. So I just started saving, saving, saving. And I convinced my mum in year 12, after like six months, to let me go to Jordan, study the DN, study Arabic. And I was, we had family in Jordan, like my uncle was there with his family. Mm. So she kind of allowed me to go. But it was very difficult. I was first planning on going with my family friend. He pulled out and then Ali came in. So him and I went. And then it was again another test where I had to go. She goes, if you want to go, you need to save. So my life savings, I worked for my, since I was 14. And then when I went to Jordan, I turned 18 on the Saturday. I left on the Monday. So I was just 18, fresh out of school. Bang, straight away. Life savings to Jordan. One year. One year, whoa. One year, yeah. So then I went Jordan and the experience was... The same thing, again, it's a discipline. Should I study? Should I not? People don't know if I'm going to class or not. Arabic's a very difficult thing to learn. It's one of the hardest languages in the world. And it's it's just just a massive test. It's very detailed, the language. Mm. It's very advanced and very hard to learn. It takes a lot of time. 
the thing about languages is when you first start learning, you learn it like you're a baby. Mm. You learn like a three word. You learn how to say milk, coffee, table, and it makes you feel it. Um, yeah, it goes against your ego. Mm-hmm. You want to be smart. You want to be knowledgeable. When someone's telling you how to say coffee, how to say table, it's like it goes against everything you know. Yeah, That's why a lot yeah. of people say they want to learn Arabic, and they do start, mashallah. But it's Quran, very yeah. difficult. Shaitan gets to here. Yeah, subhanAllah. And you, you can you can really vouch for the people that that uh, have to learn Arabic in order to be uh, fluent of Quran. Yeah. So subhanAllah, like when you actually see how much effort it be, it, they actually went through to get to that stage, it's kind of like it's kind of like learning from from the start. You're, you're like you're like a new human being, I guess. Mm. Would you say so? Because everyone obviously wants to learn Arabic first by learning the Quran. So you want to so. learn Arabic through the Quran. But um, obviously you you you've gone through the, the 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 rounds. Tell us a little bit more about that, bro. Learning Arabic's a very difficult thing, and it takes it takes a lot of discipline. It takes a lot of patience. Mm-hmm. It takes a lot of love for the Deen. It's gonna be the same thing with you having meaning with your study. Mm. If you're studying architecture like you did, but you didn't want to do it, you're not gonna study it. Exactly. So Arabic has to be something you want. And then you, with Arabic or anything you learn, there's always going to be off days, early mornings, late nights. You just have to have that discipline. You have to have that love, have to have that drive, have to have someone with you, motivating you, that kind of thing. But you start to realize when you learn about Arabic or the Quran or even media, you start to realize how good some people are. Because mm. when you have no idea, you don't know how good they are. So you learn Arabic, you're like, there's a lot of grammar, there's a lot of rules, a lot of words. And then when you meet someone that studied for three years and they just speak fluently, no mistakes, it's like, whoa. Mm. You understand the difference and the blessing in it. You know? Yeah. It's the language of our it's the language of our deen, it's the language of a prophet, language of the Quran, language you speak in Jannah, inshallah, yeah. your heaven. So what from this trip to Jordan did you really think shaped you? Like well, as a human like as the human being you are today, yeah. what really shaped you? One major thing is what you said before, that the world still goes around. So I left for a year, I'm 18, I'm excited, I go and I realize that when you come back, people are exactly the same. So I've moved forward because I know priorities, obviously family, you miss family, but I know, okay, I want to take my religion more serious. I want to focus on my studies when I come back. You know, you're sleeping four hours in Jordan, everything else is study. Mm. So you come back, it's like I'm focused. Then you meet everyone else and they're all chilling, hanging out, going out to eat every single day. It's like... In Ali and I, we only ate out Friday nights. Yeah, that was known. There's a burger place downstairs. We go eat. Well, okay. so you, you get you come back and it's like, whoa, how? Not behind, but a lot of eighteen year olds aren't weren't thinking the same as me. Yeah, because like you spoke about the bubble. Alhamdulillah, I got the opportunity at fifteen to go through that phase. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then when you're eighteen, you go through the phase for a couple of years. You leave the bubble. It's hard to get out of it. Me, I had a reason why I left it. I went to Jordan. Subhanallah. And uh, I know that Ali kind of shared, not the same journey, but he kind of went through the similar thing as yeah. you did. Ali, you want to tell us more about you? Yeah, so I did, alhamdulillah, get to go to Umrah for year 10 as well at Islamic school. So I was there till year 10. I was, obviously, I went a few years before Ashraf. And I was hesitant at the start because, of course, it costs a fair bit as well from Australia. Mm. It costs a few thousands. So I spoke to my parents about that. And with my parents, they're very... They're very understanding. They allow us and my f- and Ashraf and my other f- my other sisters to make our own decisions, and also with um, you know going on trips, buying things, 
we have to use our own money. Mm. So yes, they would help us out here and there, but they wouldn't just spoil us, allow us to get whatever we want because they want us to value things more. Yeah. So what my dad did, he made it. He he made a deal with me that he will pay for it, but then after pay, after paying back. Okay. Yeah. So it's so it's either <laughs> so it's so it's either I'm working where whatever job I was doing, which was McDonald's at the time. Finally, so yeah. it wasn't that much, so it would take a while. Yeah. So it was either that and also helping with my parents' business. Yeah. So it would take a while, but then I have to see if it's really worth it. That's my decision at the end of the day, if it's worth it or not, if I'm going to regret it. But of course, I did not regret it at all. It was my first time going Umrah, especially going with your school friends as well that you've known since prep. It's just like unbelievable feeling, like memories that you keep for the rest of your life. Mm. And that, it's also after, after that Umrah trip, just straight after, I actually moved schools. So it was instantly straight after the trip, Yeah, I moved to a public school as well, which I initially wanted to do at the start, but for some reason, things didn't work out. I had to move halfway. So alhamdulillah, like things happened for a reason. It was a real test because obviously you're on a spiritual high, as they mm. say, straight after I'm on a trip. And with your friends as well, you want to see them more often because you, you made that connection. But then I had to move because initially that's what I wanted to do, studying-wise. Yeah, The school I was at didn't offer what I wanted. So that really was a strong test at the public school, but it also I also was stronger in my Muslim identity. I was more proud in who I was. I was more aware in what was more important in life, my priorities. So that's something that really changed me a lot. But what changed me even more was probably the Jordan trip. Okay. Yeah. So. Initially, I didn't want to go. I didn't want to go on this trip. I heard Ashraf wanted to go with my family friend. I thought, okay, here we go. This is another thing that my parents are going to tell me that I have to pay him back for. Yeah. It's going to be. I'm going to be in debt <laughs> for life. So, I thought about it at the time. First time, I was like, nah, not worth it. Like, you guys can go. And then it came to a day where it's like, I thought about really the benefits he could make, and what I could be missing out on as well. You know, studying Arabic, life experience itself. You know, just traveling again as well. And I thought, man, what the heck? Like, I can't, I can't miss out at all. Yeah. Like, my family friend didn't get to go anyway. So my brother, I'm not sure if my parents would have gave the blessing for him to go on his own at 18 years old. Mm. But older brother, 20 years old, I guess it's like just enough to allow us to go. So, yeah, so Ashraf, at the end of the day, like, he really helped me, encouraging me, motivating me to go to this trip. So that was a blessing, alhamdulillah. But... Jordan itself was there for about a year. So it was just Ashraf and I in our own apartment. So this, so um, yeah, well, so we're there just staying in our own neighborhood, own place, um, being able to, we have to cook whatever we, whatever one, like we, whatever we wanted to eat, we couldn't always eat out. It would have been that independence there that really changed yeah, ex you, eh? Exactly, man. That was like real tough because like Ashraf said, no one knew that we were going to classes. We could literally the whole year just kick back, go play soccer every day if we wanted, just go spend like crazy. We could even go to other countries if we really wanted to. No one could yeah. track us. It's not like, like Australia. Yeah, that, like, <laughs> yeah, that's true. Not that, much not that much freedom though. Like we could literally do whatever we want to do. Mm. We could in our breaks go traveling, waste our money and then just come back with zero dollars. But obviously at the end of the day, it's like the d decisions we make. Yeah. So that really like tested us with our actual intentions. So that was that was a really that was a really good experience with um like going through the trip as well. Was there a certain moment 
like we sit down because some people say like okay I one day I was just out in Mecca I was out in Medina I was just sitting down and then I actually just sat in that moment and they just felt this calmness this rain over me and just like you know what I mean? Do you get where I'm coming from? I get what you mean, but in what way? Like when you were in Jordan, was there a certain experience? Did you see somebody who was struggling? Did you see something? Did you experience something from somewhere? You know mm. how some people get that sweetness of Iman taste. You get what I'm saying? Did Did anything? Did anything really? Did anything really hit you and hit home with you that made you go, okay, you know what? I know exactly what I need to do. Mm. Now, Ali, you say you want to study teaching, and you, yeah. it was because of your Jordan experience. So link it back to. A moment that made you want to say, "Okay, now I want to teach," because uh, now okay, you so know what you want to do for the next twenty, thirty years. Is that is what you kind of mean? So, hey, is that your question going towards that or not? Yeah, because career choices now obviously are part of your life, you know. Yeah. So, um, what is it in your life? What, what what is it from that Jordan trip that made you think, "Okay, I need to do something like this with my life"? We literally um, asked him two questions in one go. Yeah, we asked him two questions. One's a moment. What, what shaped it? What shaped it? Was there was there a moment, or was it was it like the whole trip in general? Um, it was it was kind of the whole trip in general because initially I did study Arabic at school prep to ten, but to be honest, at most Islamic schools, mo- uh, especially mine, I don't know about other ones, but mm. it didn't really count. So you'd go to Arabic classes, it would just be looked at as as a free period, not taken seriously at all. Mm. So then I could say, uh, yes, I did learn for 10 years uh, in Australia, but I really didn't. So <laughs> I, like, I learned a few letters, maybe a few random words, maybe a swear word or two, but that's <laughs> it from some mates. So I was going to say, not the Arabic class, I hope. <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, never. Yeah, so, so when I went to Jordan as well, I realized like the teachers I had over there from level one. So we did level one too. So I had two different teachers. Mm. So they were a lot different. Level one teacher was very easygoing. He did not know any English as well. So he had to communicate with the class full of students that did not know English. Students from Turkey, from China, Mm. from Albania, all all different parts of the world. So this guy was only speaking English, only speaking Arabic, trying to speak to these other people that have no idea. So you can imagine the patience you need and also the understanding. And of course, you need the love for teaching at the end of the day Mm. to like get through what you want to teach these students. Mm. But then again, with the level two teacher, she's a teacher where... She has to teach people Arabic that, but they already have a good foundation. So obviously there's some leeway. It's a bit easier, I guess. Mm. But then this teacher, she didn't really have the love the same guy that level one teacher did, where I, I noticed straight away. And this, this made me realize with because I I I kept the strong connection with this level one teacher, and it just showed like how enjoyable teaching is, and like seeing the differences um, students can make and like improving over time. So this is something I'd like to do and like this is why I'm doing teaching, I'm studying oh. teaching. So yeah. like I want to teach Arabic in the future. Inshallah. Initially I'm doing sport, this is what I always wanted to do, but then <laughs> now Arabic's another subject. So why it's not, like why not? I would a quick question though. Like the overall trip of Jordan I guess impacted you. Mm. Um but would you say there was like one moment which mm. you regretted or would have changed it like differently or just done something differently that would have made it like more of an impact or would you have kept it exactly the same as it was? Um, I know it's a deep question, but what's so one regret, pretty much? Yeah, one regret. Okay. Um, or something you would have done differently. Prob- we'll make a shift. <laughs> <laughs> Get that money back faster. I came back with like zero dollars. <laughs> it was all worth it. Um, one regret, probably not moving in with other Arabic Arabic students straight away, because that made a big difference 
So first of all, Ashraf and I lived in an apartment by ourselves because obviously we're new to the country. But then a few months later, when we moved to the second level, we moved in with two other students. So they didn't speak any English at all. And this made a big difference in our improvement in the language, which I assume in any other like study trip you want to do, you want to learn another language, I recommend you moving in with people that don't speak the same language as you. So one regret is, yeah, not moving in as quickly as possible. Because I think also there was a time where we did have the opportunity, but you get too comfortable in your own comfort zone as well, in your own circumstances. So, yeah, that's something I re really want to do next time, maybe. Can you sum it up for me in one beautiful sentence for the audience? I know Wally needs some quotes for his quote book. Hit us with one <laughs> sentence that sums up what changed you or what made you into the man you are today. What changed me is pretty much just valuing time more mm. and also being more grateful in we're in Australia as well, seeing that other people in Jordan, yes, they to be honest, they're a lot more happier than us, but their living conditions was just so different. They had they lived on the literally minimum wage, mm. barely had any like extra clothing, I guess, as well. No like real smartphones as well. And they can't really spoil themselves, but to be honest, in Australia, we're, we're spoiled for choice here with the houses we live in, the cars we drive, the phones we have. So I'm, that's what's pretty much shaped me today, like being more grateful with everything that's going on in Australia. Lucky, lucky last question, though. Um, so I guess you and so both of you guys both went to Umrah and Jordan in that period. Yep. Um, and obviously, you guys are not the same people at the end of the day. But what would you say was the twist between you two? Like, this is a question for Ashraf as well. Um, what would you say is the, the difference in your stories or what? Yeah, pretty much. Difference in your stories? Because um, uh, at the end of the day, they're not the same, they're not the same yeah. people. Do you yeah, know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, of course, we had different perspectives on the trip. Um, you can't speak for Ashraf. Ashraf no, no, I'll, I'll speak for myself, speak of course. Yourself, yeah. I probably won't even guess what he's going to say. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think being the older brother as well, just us two living in our own place, I felt more responsibility naturally so that was something i've built just a bit more maturity i guess just having to rely on myself not anyone else mm. so that's probably the biggest thing i should hit us let's go well one major thing is ali from jordan trip had the idea of teaching because how people taught arabic or how the class was run i never saw any of that because teaching isn't in me yeah so my both my sisters and ali all want to do teaching me i'm a business kind of guy uh, like so it. in like jordan i was looking i was seeing how the countries run up so we got we didn't just get to travel jordan alhamdulillah we got to travel around we went we went quds we went jerusalem we went saudi went dubai and went europe so at the end of the trip we ended up in europe and when, it was in, when I was in Europe, my friend gave me my first book I've ever read. He gave me Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and I've never read a book. And my parents are into business. They both run a business. So when he gave me that book, I read it on my trip. It was the first book I ever read. And that created the love I had for business. Like I've, it made me desire to run a business. So through that, I learned from all my experience. I got ideas from Jordan, ideas from Quds. I got ideas from Europe. And then I came back and I just have all these aspirations for business because of travel. Travel gave me the experience to widen my horizon. Because in Melbourne, we have a very small Muslim community. Mm. We have a very small population. It's 23 million, 20-something million. Yeah. It's so small that there's so many niches like this podcast that we're trying to do. Everything mm. and anything. Mm. 
doing. We're doing, and we're That's killing it. it too. That's it. <laughs> Alhamdulillah. Beautiful. But that kind of thing. We both took away different things. And even individually, like there's certain things that Ali might value more now. Like he might value more. Because in Jordan, if you can't play soccer. It's not like a park. Mm. Everywhere you go, you have to pay mm. to rent. So here there's a park, there's soccer nets, there's goals. So Ali valued that a lot. He, when he came back, he said, I miss playing soccer. And the same for us. Like there's certain things. I might say I miss my friends more. So we started having different priorities. Like when I came back, I realized something that Legendary told me is not everyone is worth your time. That's a good point. Not everyone is worth your time. Can you quote Legendary? I'm just speaking. Alhamdulillah. Yeah, I need to see that quote book, bro. <laughs> Here's that one. Coming out soon. Follow Fedekin. <laughs> Hard. But yeah. But last but not least, we'll pass it over to uh, Big Birdie. Keith. Take it away, brother. Tell us what changed you to the man you are today. Uh, I also went Umrah like these guys, but I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. That wasn't the main thing that changed my life. That was an amazing experience, but it wasn't something that sort of uh, shaped you. Shaped me for the future. He sort of kept me in line, mm-hmm. but he didn't shape me completely, honestly, for the long term. What shaped me was um, at the age of 18, I uh, encountered a very unfortunate event, but it happens to everyone. A family member of mine passed away. Yeah. Yeah. Not really a family member, but we called her a family member. Uh, my mum's best mate. Best, best mate. She came to Australia with her. She had no other family here. She had no kids. She had no husband. We were her kids. We were her family. But she didn't with us. She lived in another house somewhere else. Anyways, yeah. We used to always see her. Everything's nice. Everything's amazing. Uh, what was it called? Uh, and yeah, she, she basically raised us as well. Mum was working. She looks, she, she looks after us. Uh, she comes here every single weekend, every second weekend, every second month, something. Anyway, yeah, she's basically there for us always. And uh, the way she passed away was very, very nice. It sounds weird, but it's very nice. She oh woke up for Fajr, went back to sleep, didn't wake up. Wow. And she passed away in the early morning, like 8 a.m., 8, 9 a.m. I'm assuming so apparently that was a time of death or something. And we found out in the late afternoon, like 3, 4. Mum knew early morning. She didn't tell us. Wow, okay. At the same time, my family was going through some... It wasn't some struggles, but my sister was in hospital as well. Okay. So yeah. we, all, we were already focused on that. We wasn't focusing on this, da, da, da. How old were you at the time? I just turned 18. Okay, it wasn't that long. Yeah, ago. Just, just turned 18. And uh, at 18, you're at the age that you can, um, you, can sort of, you can sort of be malleable. As in, like, you can... Anyone can sort of change your mind. Mm. As in, like, I was in a very sheltered environment at school, all boys' school. Didn't see girls for six years. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm serious. I, I didn't see girls for six years, 7 to 12. I was in an environment where it was just all boys, all banter, all, all ridiculously rude jokes. Da, da, da. I didn't know if I was prepared for the real world. Um, I was at a stage in my life where anything and everything can sort of impact my life in a big way. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was called and when she, and then it was the start of, start of first year uni, so 2016. 2016 start, I think the exact date was January 9th. I think so. Um, and then she passed away. And then, wow, and then like, I was just shocked. I was like, what? Yeah. The dad told us, I was like, what is going on? So she had no previous medical problems, no? No, 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 so no. Just, just natural so Just God took death. her life at that time. Yeah, alhamdulillah. Um, 
and that taught me no, no, not not taught me it's like it just hit me like massively because she was basically my second mum mm. and the part that genuinely genuinely like formed and formed me and humbled me to this day was that when they got her body and washed it and cleaned it da, 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 and took her to the graveyard and normally in Islamic tradition the family members put the body in the grave yeah she had no family members. I can't even talk around that far out. <coughs> Legit, she had no family members. I was the only guy there, me and my dad. And my dad's like, listen, you're doing it. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah whatever. I, I didn't believe it. Car comes, pulls up, the, bring the body out uh, in, a, in, a, in a little, what do you call it? I don't know. It looks, like, it, it looks like a surfboard to me, honestly speaking. <laughs> yeah, oh, stretcher, stretcher. Yeah, stretcher. Yeah, yeah, um, they bring it out and then they go, Family members, where are you guys? And then my uncle's there. My uncle goes, I should go. I'm like, why don't you help? And he goes, no, nah, just you. I carried her light as a feather. But light, love you. Carried her, and I had to put her in the grave. And one thing that I saw got from my dad was, uh, not, I didn't really get him for dad, but I just saw him when his mum passed away a few years prior, that he didn't cry in front of us. Yeah. He just refused to cry. Probably a tear or two, but nothing else. So in my head, I'm like, okay, Abshir, your auntie passed away, basically second mum, you're putting her in the graveyard, there's hundreds of people here right now, do not cry. Mm. So I put her in the grave, and that uh, literally my own auntie that raised me, told me, told me Quran, told me Arabic, Wallah, she told me probably two, three just the Quran, herself, mm. along with my mum. I carried her into the grave, I got out, I walked off. Walked to, uh, uh, I don't know, 500 meters away. Just walked as far away as possible from everybody else. Yeah. I didn't know one guy was following me. Shout out Milo. You know Milo, yeah? Yeah, Milo. Legendary Milo. <laughs> Thierry Henry. Um, what was it called? Um, uh, he followed me. I went behind a tree, burst out into tears. He saw me, consoled me. Da, 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 come on. Well, that's all right. She's in a better place, alhamdulillah. Da, da, da. And, and, and I sort of felt that she was in a better place yeah. since she was so light. Yeah. Anyway, and then they covered her up. Da, 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 and I made a promise to myself. I haven't been doing it recently. I'm pretty ashamed of it, but go to her once a month. Once every two months, humble yourself. Once you go there, you see the graveyard, you see someone that you genuinely had love for from the bottom of your heart, right there in the grave in front of you. He's dead, he's in the afterlife now. Whatever you're thinking of doing, it's smashed. Whatever you're thinking you're doing of uh, it's cooked, out the window. I, I particularly used to go there on Friday afternoons. Friday is the start of the weekend. You're yeah. very prone to say, you know what, stuff this, just go hard on the weekend. Yeah. No. And and like alhamdulillah it happened before I entered a stage of of just fitna or or, or, yeah. or, or like like stupidity. Yeah, stupidity, exactly. Yeah. Every every guy goes through a phase, either yeah, fourteen yeah. years old or twenty five years old, every guy sort of goes through a phase like that. And alhamdulillah like that prevented me from going through that stage. Smart, yeah. That sort of just formed is like a, every and then and the fact that the way she she died sorta of had a profound effect on me as well. Yeah. Because say she died in a car accident or she had a disease, or she had an illness, or she yeah. had something that caused death. Yeah. I think I would have been a bit more arrogant. I would have been like, "Oh, it happened to her. What happened to me?" Mm. The way she died was just sleeping. We all sleep, yeah. Exactly. We sleep. Every single one of us sleeps. Yeah. Mm. Every single day. Mm. And the fact that it was unexpected at Fajr time, she has a roommate. Fajr time, I think, the, I think the roommate saw her as well. She wakes up normally at ten a.m. As in, she prays. Roommate sees her, goes back to sleep. 10 a.m. she wakes up. 
Oh, she has a daily routine. Yeah, 10 a.m., 9, 10 a.m. she wakes up. But this time she didn't wake up. Yeah. And then her, her roommate's going, wow, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. Goes then, dead. I'm like, actually, something so simple as sleep can end your life. As you could just die. Isn't like there, there is no, there is no, there is no like. T- turning back, there's no. Now there's, there's no like cause. There's no flicker. There's no, there's no like something that can, like there's no causative factor. Yeah. Like it's just, it just happens. It's just your time. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And you don't know your time at all. So no. every single time, and uh, some of the boys that I'm tight with right now or tight with back in the day, the name I had was Upshit Bad Buzz. Wow. You're a bad buzz. Yeah. Upshit, let's go there now because I'm all right. Bad buzz. Nah, because I'm right. Well, even to this day, like right now there's a bit of banter. Yeah, no, alhamdulillah, all of us are on the right path. But back in the up shit, oh, you bad buzz. Up shit, you cook her. Up shit, but come on, what's wrong with you? Let's go. Stop being little B I T C H. Yeah. You know? Oh, no, 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 no. You reached a stage where some of them didn't even, like, oh, F this guy. Some of them didn't even talk to me. Because, like, oh, this guy, this guy, this guy, oh, this guy, this guy just wants to do him. There's no up shit for the boys. Never. You know, if you're down to play basketball, I'm down. Mm. Down to play soccer, I'm down. FIFA session, I'm down. Chill session, I'm down. Out with the lads on a, on a Saturday night, Friday night? Nah, no way. <laughs> I can't do that. Because I don't know, who, like, I'm just going to be in the car on the way to the city at like, 10 p.m. on a Friday night, trying to enjoy my night, and then, I'm, then like, I'm not going to know if I'm going to reach wherever I was planning to go. Yeah. Say the boys want to try some weird-ass drug or something, I don't know. It happens. I don't know during that period of time with where we're intoxicated or whatever, I'm gonna die or not. So I'm not, I'm not gonna do it. And 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 another thing that sort of had me locked on to not do anything smashed or keep my head in the right headspace was the effect death has on family. Mm. My auntie passed away and my sister was in hospital and my mom told us at two three p.m. Told the immediate family at, at home. She told no. She said, "Guys, no one tell your sister. She's in hospital already. She's already suffering. Do not tell her at all, cause mm. she's already in hospital and she's and you, you give her this news and that was her favorite auntie as well. Yeah, she's gonna she's, she's gonna collapse probably. I think my younger brother just went there and gave her a hug and she was, and your younger brother was a bit sad. At that time, he was around eight years old. You can't tell eight years old not to shut his mouth. Yeah, yeah. After yeah. a big." Profound effect in his life. Mm. You can't tell him. He just went there and spilled. He started crying. I think he started crying. I think he spat it out or something. And she's like, oh, what? I, I, I don't believe it. And then, and then because once it's, it's one of those things where if you're trying to hide something from someone so big, you try to you try ignoring it. But once he's brought up again, everyone breaks down. Yeah. I think I think she sort of saw that and she and she she started crying as well. So I'm like, Abshir, say I get I die. I'm already gonna have a profound effect in the family. But if I die doing something cooked, it's even worse. It's even worse. Mm-hmm. And 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 one thing I had that that sort of assurance. I don't know what's in the afterlife. I don't know. I don't know what's gonna happen. Yeah, I don't know where my aunt is gonna be or where I'm gonna be or anyone's gonna be. Yeah. The fact that she's so light, when I was putting her in the grave. So it gives me some sort of happiness. I'm like, Alhamdulillah, she did the best she can. That lightness could mean nothing or could mean everything. Mm. Yeah. So like, like I look at it in a positive light. Okay, Alhamdulillah, she's light. Maybe Allah cleared all her sins already. Something, I don't know. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Like, and she died in a pure way. Uh, yet we mourned. If I die in a bad way and they're mourning and they see something, like, like say, say I go to a car crash, I'm intoxicated, plus music blasting in the car. Yeah. 
Okay, I'll be like, oh, that's that's ridiculous. That's, 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 I don't know how my, how I can let my mum, my sister feel what I'm feeling right now. Yeah. Times ten since his bad way. Mm. Like it's like, and that just kept me, kept me, kept me every single time. I, I haven't been in a while. Well, you know what Because they tell you you die the way you live, and if you're gonna die in a certain state, yeah. Of obviously a way you don't want to be remembered by. Yeah. You're gonna be remembered by that forever. Mm. So. Obviously, it's a good thing that your auntie did die after praying Fajr because they say that no one with sincere heart who makes wudu and prays a prayer did they not have their sins washed away from before that. Do you get where I'm coming from? Yes, she mm, she yeah. prayed two rak'at as well and went to sleep. Mm. That was her last action, subhanAllah. Yeah. So and, and for someone, and she's she so tight in the deen. Yeah, mashallah. So tight. She's one that, her and my mom and my duxi teacher, Quran class teacher, are the ones that told me Quran. Yeah. Dad's always working, he's half the Quran, mashallah. But my mum, dad, my mum and my auntie and the Duxi teacher taught me the Quran. Yeah. And 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 she was so like mashallah, I just it's, mashallah, I just I love her. Wallah, I love her. It's, because of her passing, yeah. I'm like this today. So yeah, and wallah, like it's ridiculous, it's ridiculous, wallah. So give us a word of advice from what you've what you've encountered. What what in one sentence can you tell us? Is what you learned that shaped you that maybe could pass on to somebody else who's actually listening to this right now, who probably needs it as well. Like we all need it, but just give uh, us, give uh, us one uh, line. They probably heard a billion times, like we all have. But we can literally go at any moment. I could be talking to this microphone right now, talking to you, and I could pass away. Yeah. Well, I love Like we don't know when it's gonna happen, and just make sure. I as upshit. Um. I don't like I. It sounds smashed. Uh, everyone tells us after you cooked, but I want to die after all my family dies because I don't want to. I don't want them feeling the pain. I don't want them feeling the pain I felt when my aunt passed away. Yeah. Mm. Or I don't want them feeling the pain of me passing away. You get me? I don't want. I don't want them feeling the pain. I'd rather feel that pain myself. And they go into the afterlife. They go into the grave. They, me Allah Subhanahu wa Taala, but. I prefer that if I passed away, mm. it last, and and they passed away before me. Mm. So all I'm saying is like just like just beware, just like any any moment, any time, any like and and that sort of links back to my Umrah trip. Um, uh, when I went to Umrah, I literally saw the Masjid um, Nabawi, the Prophet's Mosque. And when I went there, everyone I ask, everyone I ask is the same reaction. When you go there, shivers. You just like like your body mm. like it's not you reacting your body's reacting. Yeah. It's like like your body saying I'm finally home. It's your soul. Yeah, I'm I, I'm here. This yeah. is where I want to be. I love this place. Yeah. And, and you want to keep going back, keep going back. We had a tour that's hundred meters from the mosque, two hundred meters. Go downstairs, you there. You hear me? Mm. It's like, oh, the, the the two interlink, and basically, what I'm saying is like just 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 make sure, like. Uh, all of us has our own trials and tribulations. All of us uh, go through our own stuff. All of us, like maybe, right now, Alhamdulillah, I haven't done anything cooked. Maybe three weekends down the line, I'll be like, you know what? I'm feeling sort of bored this Saturday. There's nothing going on. There's no food, nothing. Yeah. I'm out. I go out. My plan isn't to do anything cooked, and one thing leads to another. Yeah. And then, and then, and then on Saturday night, yeah, what's up? <laughs> yeah. So you're speaking about death. Obviously, you you have death consciousness. Like you're always thinking, I might die if I do this. I might die if I do that. I don't want to die in that. Not state. always. We have, we have um, high and low moments, but predominantly yeah. most of the time, yeah. 
Alhamdulillah, that's good. Yeah. So obviously there's a hadith that says, remember death often, the destroyer mm. of pleasures. So mm. obviously you don't want to do anything bad because mm. you want to die in a good state. Mm. And you experience death. A lot of people our age, 20, 21, 22, have no one close to them die. Mm. You said you go to the graveyard and that encu- that makes you remember death, you know? It's encouraged yeah. sunnah, it's encouraged thing in Adin to yeah. go to the graveyard because you remember death. Yeah. But if, if I have no one to go to the graveyard for, yeah. what can I do? Do you get it? Because there's, okay. there's no, it's never happened to me. Yeah. It's not normal to me. My grandma is all alive, my grandparents, my aunties, my uncle. How can, I can't go to the graveyard because it's just randoms. Mm. So what can I do to remember death? Because it's like it's not real to me. Uh, yeah, that's, that's a tough, tough, tough question. question. Yeah. Yeah. Before this death, I'm not even going to lie to you, I did not think of death. Mm. It's not, I did not, I was 18, I just finished school, graduation, you know, and like I said before, Wallahi Alim, we had no girls in our school. So the biggest test for us boys in that particular school was females. Yeah. Once, once you go out to workforce, once you go out to rural, you're like, what the hell? Wait, th- there's girls in the world and there are more than guys? Is there's more girls than guys in the world? What is going on? <laughs> what is this? This is this is Stakhfala, but this is heaven. <laughs> what is yeah, going on? In a guy's mind, hundred yeah, percent. This is ridiculous. This is what is going on? So you just like 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 um like how do I say to you? For someone that hasn't experienced death, I wouldn't say f- think of death because you can't really feel it. What I'm saying, like what I'd say rather instead would be think of think of being watched. Mm. Think of that every single action that you do will be questioned. And and the weird thing about me, like the, the thing that trips me out always is something small like say right now I get up and I smash my knee into here. My automatic reaction, being bloody Aussie, is whack. Swear, you know, what? that was a bit loud. I don't even know what that was, bro. Yeah, <laughs> I basically look on the screen. I don't, I don't <laughs> sound like a crow. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't even do that. <laughs> I basically, I basically swore by trying not swearing. I said, you know, I just made a noise. Ah, F. yeah, F off. That I like, oh my god, yeah, bloody yeah. hell. Like, that will be questioned. Mm. Do you know how, like, like, every single word, say you're walking by and you see a girl, beautiful girl, like, guys, you look at you look at her, like, suffer like, one or more Bang One more One or more You go through Instagram You're scrolling, scrolling, scrolling You see a girl You scroll past her You go back up You get you a question for that Why did you do that for? Mm. You get me? Yeah wow. Yeah Like every single thing Will be questioned So I'll be like If someone hasn't experienced Death close to them Someone someone dying close to them And they don't know What to feel And don't know A way to Sort of Tighten themselves to the religion, or, mm. or 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 like experience something close to what I felt. And everyone's everyone's feelings gonna be different, honestly yeah. speaking. If, if your buddy or your cousin or your auntie passes away, you might you might feel numb instead of instead of like yeah. being emotional. But yeah, like I'd say, just remember that you're being watched twenty four seven. You're being watched twenty four seven. Your what was it called? You're being watched twenty four seven. And uh, yeah, that's good. Well, it creates like, consciousness. To yeah, like, isn't like like every like. So well, it's so ridiculous. Do, do you know what's crazy about us? Ah. We all had a turning point around the same age. Like you had an after school, I had an after school. This guy first year uni. This guy left to Jordan first year uni. Yeah. This guy, as soon as he finished school. Yeah. We're all the same age. Like we didn't we didn't go through that crazy stage. Yeah. Like alhamdulillah, it's a blessing. But 
in my eyes, that that's the age that most of most people you go left or right. It mm. shapes you. Shapes you. You may shape you. Your I'm not lying to you. The school I went to, all boys, and predominantly I'm uh, Turkish, and forget the Turkish. Um, most boys were practicing. That's a big thing. And the school I went to, it wasn't compulsory. So like at least you guys had prepped to year ten, mm. where it was compulsory. And then you guys went to public school, so up to year 10, up to 15, 16. It's habitual, you know. Yeah, what it's you're habitual. Doing. It's like it's something they do naturally. I went to that school at year seven from an Islamic school. So, year seven, I'm 12, 13. At 12, 13, you go to a school that you pray in a multi purpose room at the back end of the school. You don't go anywhere. Like in, there's no adhan, there's no call to prayer, there's no people, let's go pray. Everyone's playing soccer. And that's a big thing when soccer's yeah. there or you have something else yeah, to do. Yeah, so, and, 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 and most of us here being soccer addicts, <laughs> people that just love the sport, love playing it, whether it be soccer or footy, whatever it is, you're, you're doing something during that lunchtime where you enjoy. Mm. You're not wasting that lunchtime just what, like doing something that you don't like. So you're like, I'm doing something I don't like, I love, or I'm going to go pray. So, like, like, it's sort of at 13, 14, 15, you might not pray. It might mm. just be, oh, whatever stuff, get out of here. 16, 17, 18, you're in that state where everyone's 16, 17, people are partying. Yeah. People are going out. You start giving that freedom. Like, I can take yeah, transport wherever exactly. I want. I can go mom, city. Mom, I got money. Yeah, exactly. Mum, I'm going there. So, okay, get out of here. Dad, I'm going here. Oh, whatever. Mm. No one really cares. You know? So, that age is the age where you can be, you can go left or right and. Allah guides. Allah. Allah, Allah guides. So like, and that, and and someone might go left and come back. Yeah. Yeah, and and because they went left and experienced left and came back right, they might they might turn out to be better than me who hasn't gone left. Yeah. I've gone left obviously, but but I haven't gone. You didn't left, go far left. left. Yeah. Far left. That's the big difference. So so they they've tasted the fruit of A, B, and C, and D, mm. and they come back here like, oh, listen, like, yeah, it tastes amazing. That's that's, that's that's ridiculous, but I don't need that in my life. You know, I I don't need that. What's going on? No, just speak. speak. Oh, don't worry. Know, yeah. Why you get distracted quick? Yeah, no, well, just keep talking. I was going on, but yeah, what I'm saying is yeah, just just uh, just at uh, 18, just it's gonna be 18. I was listening to this right now. Just uh, just fear the Lord Almighty. Uh, I think I think one thing that you have to understand is like nothing is black and white ever. All of our experiences were different. Everyone has a different uh, experience. Nothing is grey. Mm. To be honest with you, just understand who you are. And if whatever we've told you here has actually helped you or benefited you in any way, just kind of like take it with a grain of salt because our experience is going to be different to what you go through. Your struggle is different to ours. So don't ever like, don't ever think of anything one way. Just try and, for for your own sake, just try and find whatever you feel is is the right thing because you'll find it you'll actually end up finding it just don't just trust in yourself if you especially if you have din and you know something just just trust in yourself to find it and um yeah. now there's one thing i said before that we all did it after school but i actually wasn't sure if legendary so i wanted to ask him before we ended up like was yours actually after school um sort of so like how i spoke about my impact i know i should i, I should already spoke but my last impact happened probably like the major one obviously since I traveled Somalia four times and then on my third time 
um, that's probably when my biggest impact happened. So when on my third time, that's when I first got my first retail job in probably the largest retail joints in um, all of Australia. Um, so going in at the age of 17, just straight at year 12, so just about to enter my first year in university, um, I was in that period where I found out who I was as an individual. Mm-hmm. So obviously in that period, I think three of us now have spoken, I think all five of us, four or five of us have now spoken about it, how during that year 12, first year university, that's where most of our big impacts has happened. And for me in that period, like usually... Well, for me personally, like I know most people are like this as well, where they don't really know who they are as an individual. You're still trying to find out your identity. And I, I'm not going to say that I found out my identity completely, but obviously you guys speak about books and all this kind of stuff. Um, for me personally, like retail, like one thing... <laughs> I can't read, bro. <laughs> <laughs> one thing about retail, you're, you're sort of put in every sort of situation, like literally every situ- uh, literal situation so you've got people that are poor that come up and they can only have like they only have ten dollars and they're trying to find the cheapest thing to spend their money on you've got to give them that advice and you've got people that are granny you've got to have patience so you're sort of taught how do you build up an actual character um and me for me personally everything that would happen in my life i would take it very personal so if someone would frown while they were speaking to me i'd be like what well what did i do wrong all this kind of stuff and then after listening to this um podcast by uh, shout out Dr. Phil where he came out with a podcast and he recommended a very crazy book which I haven't gone around to reading only probably about a chapter or so um, but the quote itself changed me on and own without actually reading the book mm-hmm. so he speaks about Sophie Turner I don't know if you guys know Sansa Stark in the Game of Thrones um, probably one of the biggest shows in what's Game of Thrones I never watched it in my life what are speaking yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, never I, I don't know I haven't sort of watched that either <laughs> no joking um, so Game of Thrones probably like the biggest selling show ever hit box office all this kind of stuff makes all the money in the world so Sansa Stark is playing um, she's playing Sansa Sophie Turner's playing Sansa Stark um, as a character character and she's beautiful like she's got everything a she's got everything <laughs> Allah she's got everything that a female wants do you know what I mean she's <laughs> she's got everything a female wants from money she's got beauty she's got she's married to Nick Jonas probably every what teenager girl wants um teenager girl not you Abshir um, and <laughs> as a result, like from her, she still battled with mental health and de- mental health and depression and all that kind of stuff. And Dr. Phil says to her why she goes through that and she sort of explains it. Um, I recommend really watching it for anyone that's actually curious. But one thing he goes, he gives her a recommendation of a book called Man's Search for Meaning about a guy who is a Jewish, um, he was held in a Jewish camp um, back obviously in the World War Two era and Adolf Hitler time. And as a result of that, like he had everything in his life controlled from the point where when he would take a crap, when he would see sunlight, when he would breathe and all this kind of stuff. Um, and so from that, what he gave advice to Sansa Stark was that this guy couldn't control nothing in his life, literally nothing. Like the only thing that he actually had control over was his attitude and his outlook on life. And me personally, as a person who would get offended in retail when a customer would get mad at me, when rather they're not really mad at me, they're, they're mad at their business or they've got a problem within themselves where they just want to express that frustration. It just so happens to be that I'm that person. So from that lesson, me becoming an individual, learning that like life isn't really that deep, you know what I mean? Everything around you, going back to Sahel's point, it'll continue one way, one way or another with or without you. And from that, yeah, so my attitude in life has changed. So if a person who's like literally going to be probably killed, he's alive right now, obviously, to write the book. But 
knowing that his death is like on the um, like on the corner of his eyes and he's about to die from that for him to say yes my attitude in life all this kind of stuff yeah pretty much pretty hit me but yeah Seuss amazing point to finish up on uh, we're going to leave it there I'm going to chuck it over to Stiff Chocolate to finish us off Stiff Chocolate aka 65 Chocolate Goodness <laughs> alrighty bro finish us up uh, guys um, thank you for listening love you guys thank you for your support almost 500 followers I rate it. I love it. We all love you guys. Um, we'd like you to share this podcast to everyone. Follow our Instagram page if you're not following at Fair Dinkum Pod. Follow our Twitter page if you're not following at Fair Dinkum Pod as well. Follow our Snapchat. I'm joking. Follow our Facebook <laughs> we'll at get, Fair we'll Dinkum Pod. Facebook isn't really up to date now, but give we'll that a fo- give that a follow if you can. Yeah. And uh, yeah, see Watch you in. Indefinitely. Inshallah. See ya. That's